name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's really a joy to be with you this morning. Um, we're doing something today. Actually, I am doing something today that I have never done in almost 17 years of following Jesus and almost 15 years of pastoral ministry. I am preaching a sermon again. Not last week's sermon. This is a sermon from like 11 years ago. And uh, last week we talked about Amazing Grace. How many of you are here for Easter weekend online something? All right, we talked about this incredible fact that God wants to be in relationship with you. You're like, with me? With you. But if he knew, oh, he knows. And he still wants to be in relationship with you. It's Amazing Grace. If you've ever struggled with religion and you're like, man, I'd love to have an authentic uh, relationship with God, authentic spirituality, and you missed last week, check it out on our YouTube channel or our podcast, Search Greenhouse South Florida, and you'll find it there. This week, as I was going into planning and prep myself, Pastor Mike, who's my mentor and pastor for almost 20 years now. We take time every single quarter and we put prayer and fasting into what we think God is saying and wants to say to our churches. And often we go back to those sort of outlines or skeletal sense of what we might be covering each week. And we say, God, is this what you're doing? Is this still what you're saying? And, um, and this week in particular, I felt like, you know, what we had planned for this week is actually supposed to happen next week. There's something special, and I think God has something special to say to us today, this morning, if we have ears to hear. Are you guys fine with that? To kind of go off script a little bit, we're going to jump into this. I was going to do it anyways, but I'm glad four of you were excited about that. So stand your feet as we read and honor God's word together. If last week was about God wants to be in relationship with you, this week is all about the nature of that relationship. What does that relationship look like? We're going to be in John chapter 3, verse 16, and John chapter 17, and then we'll really take the majority of our time together to look at Joshua um, and sort of the Exodus story and post-Exodus story. It'll be a little bit of a tour through the scriptures. Um, so you can turn in your Bibles to John 3 if you want. Otherwise, we got it on the Sky Bible for your viewing pleasure. By the way, great moment to be a South Florida sports fan for any of you. Any Miami Heat fans in the place? Yeah, we talked about resurrection power and then God resurrected their playoff hopes from the dead, right? Florida Panthers fans, any? Yeah, all three of us that like hockey in South Florida, all right. Ironically enough, both of us are sitting in last place in the playoffs playing the first place teams. So it'll either be a very short and painful South Florida playoff experience or miraculous. I am believing for the latter. We'll see what happens. All right, not the point. John chapter three, if you're ready, say preach, preacher. Oh, I will. Starting John 3, 16, if you know it, you can say it with me. Probably the most popular Bible verse on the planet. For God so loved the world. Does that include you? Does that include me? Does that include them? The world, everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his, which one is this? One and only son that whoever believes, you got to check the version, in him will not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. It's so great. What's eternal life? Please don't tell me it's sitting up in the clouds with fat babies and harps. That sounds like eternal hell to me. The beautiful thing is Jesus answers this amazing gift that he came to give humanity eternal life just 14 chapters later in John 17, verse three, check it out. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. We can keep reading it together, why not? It's like sing-along time. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the purpose behind Jesus's death, burial, 
and resurrection, eternal life that you may know God. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know him? It's the heart of God. It's the longing of God. Do you know him? Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Lord, we want to know you. It's why you came. It's why you died. It's why you resurrected and you're seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us right now. Lord, thank you for that. Would you reach our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat in the room online. Guyana, shout out to y'all. I know you had an amazing Easter Sunday over there. So excited about it. I'm not sure about your origin story. I'm not sure about your upbringing, but I was raised by parents who knew God. Anybody else still alive today because you had some praying parents? You're like, whew, thank God for mom's prayers. Otherwise, it would be one answer, jail, right? Jail, that's where I would be right now. Thank God for that. I mean, growing up, my parents knew God. My father was an incredible man. He's since passed and gone on to be with the Lord. Um, He was a Messianic rabbi, started one of the first Messianic congregations, Jewish people who followed Jesus as rabbi and teacher, sort of the original recipe, if you will. Uh, One of those first congregations here in the United States, and the, the moment the story that first comes to mind my dad was fixing a sink and my best friend Jordan was over and he's like hey anybody want to help uh now I am not the most handy guy and in retrospect I probably should have said yes but I didn't I was doing something else my best friend Jordan was like I'll help you Uh, and so he was working with my dad and if you've ever done any work in plumbing it is a terrifying moment and so they're working on stuff and they're trying to get it figure out and it's not working it's not working 30 minutes in my dad's just there and he's like they, they can't figure out how this piece is supposed to fit and they're looking at the pictures and 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 Jordan has told me this story he's like John it was crazy your dad's sitting there he's trying to work it all of a sudden he goes oh Jordan I am so sorry I forgot to do the most important thing you know what he did he stops and he prays he said God clearly I don't know what I'm doing If you could help me out, that would mean so much to me right now. Jordan's like, John, I kid you not, he just sits there for like 10 seconds. Oh, oh my goodness, boom, done. He's like, John, if I ever had any doubts about the reality of God's existence and the fact that he speaks to people, in that moment I was like, okay. Conundrum solved. It's real. This was my dad's life. Now, my dad, not to be outdone, I, I grew up with a mom who was a praying mom as well. What Many of you know my mom, Jamie Lash. She's a part of our church. I mean, my life was characterized by these sorts of moments. Simple stuff. We'd be going, nothing was simple when it was supposed to be simple. We'd be going shoe shopping. We're just trying to go into a store, get some shoes, and leave. And we're going, and, and we'd be walking, and all of a sudden, my mom would go, Phew. it's like the sixth sense And she would just key in on somebody. She's like, son, I'll be right back. And I knew what that meant. There was some mission with her little like direct connection with God. There was some mission, something was about to happen. And so my mom would go walk up to random strangers over and over all the time, walk up to random strangers. 10 minutes later, the person is sharing their life story. They're sobbing. My mom's praying for them. People levitated, not really levitated, but it was just this whole eternal, amazing thing. My mom comes back all casual, and she's like, okay, let's go get your shoes. I'm like, all right. Growing up, I had no question in my mind whether God was real. My question was, was I going to follow him or not? And I tell those stories because I want us thinking within this framework when it comes to the people 
of God. I, I couldn't shake the story of Joshua this week. In fact, it brought back an 11-year-old sermon back into the forefront of my mind that I felt like we needed to dive into because it, it represents our current moment. If you've been following along with us in the Fluent, the Bible reading plan and you version, anybody been going through that with us? I know we got a group from our microchurch. Uh, by the way, we're about to start our next sprint. So if you wanted to jump in, you can scan this QR code and just go to the Bible app. It's all free there. We're trying to get through the Bible in 18 months. But as you look at the story of the people of God, out past the Exodus, a really interesting dynamic takes place. If you remember the Exodus story, anybody seen the Prince of Egypt movie? Now you're caught up to speed there, all right? Pharaoh's there. The Israelites are in bondage. This dude named, who's the deliverer that God uses? His name is Moses. Very good. Not Jesus. Good. I know sometimes you're like, is that always the right answer? Not in this case. Moses comes along. He has a famous let my people go moment. Pharaoh says... No, and so God sends plagues on the Egyptians. Eventually, God delivers his people from bondage and slavery. They go out. They find themselves in the midst of an impassable Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming from behind. The Red Sea's in front. What's, what are we gonna do? Our heroes are in peril. And God comes and does what? He parts the Red Sea. He saves the day. He delivers them from slavery. He delivers them from sure and eminent doom. God's presence is with them, and it's amazing. And then Moses dies. But the great news is he has a protege. Anyone remember his protege's name? It's this guy named Joshua. Aaron is with him. Joshua is his protege, the next gen leader. Joshua takes over. And under Joshua, things are still going great. Under Joshua, the people are loving God. They're caring for one another. They're thriving. God's presence is with them. Pillar of fire at night. Pillar of cloud by day. He's there with them in the tabernacle. Under Joshua, things are incredible. And I'm looking at the book of Joshua, and you can go all the way through it, and God's moving, and people are being blessed, and it's awesome. And you literally turn one single page into the book of Judges, and it is a mess. It's an absolute mess. In this one page, in this one moment, we go from human flourishing and God honoring and people thriving to destruction, doom, gloom, and death. People are evil. They're evil towards one another. They're obstinate and in rebellion against God. They're in opposition. There's wars and there's all this terrible things happening with the nation around them. They're ultimately invaded and it leaves the question, what in the world happened? Under Moses, under Joshua, they're thriving. In the book of Judges, it's a mess. And the end of the book of Judges gives a diagnosis. Here's what it says. And I need you to listen to this, thinking of our current moment. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right or good in their own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right or good in their own eyes. See, a shift had happened in relation to the throne. Under the leadership of Moses, under the leadership of Joshua, God was king. God revealed truth. God let them know the path of flourishing and the path of destruction. And as long as they held God as king, as long as the people kept God as king, they flourished. They, they were thriving. They were, they were experiencing God's kingdom. By the end of the Bush of, book of Judges, there had been a substitution, though. People had become their own king, which the Bible tells us means there is actually no king. This is very important. When everyone becomes the king to determine what is right and good in their own eyes, Judges says that actually just means there's no king. 
People decided they would define what is right. They would define what is good. They began to use mantras like, well, you just gotta be true to yourself. You just need to define your own truth. What's true for you? Does that sound familiar to anybody else? I know it's tempting to read this book and think, man, these are some ancient stories. What does this have to do with modern day me? A lot more than you think. People don't change much. And ultimately, this approach to life leads to their downfall. It begs the question, how did they get there? Because we need to know how do we keep from getting there ourselves. Are you tracking with me? The question back then from Joshua to Judges is the question for right now in our current cultural moment. And I've titled this message, The Three Chairs. The three chairs. The idea is not unique to me. I wish I could give actual credit. 11 years ago, I listened to something, podcast, maybe a, a, a leadership conference or something, and pulled the idea out. So Jesus owns everything. Whoever had this idea, thank you so much. God bless you. But I want to talk three generations. I want to talk three generations. Are we ready to dive in? All three, y'all. The rest of y'all ready to dive in? Yeah. All right, let's do it. First chair. Everybody say first chair. The first chair is Joshua. This is Joshua. This is the first-hand experience with God. This is the first chair, the first-hand experience with God. See, Joshua experienced all of these amazing things that I described. Joshua was quite literally there. He would have been just a boy at the time when all of this began to happen, but he would have watched with his own eyes. He would have experienced in his real life all of the miracles that God did. He would have seen the Red Sea open. By the way, how many of y'all would like to watch the rerun of that in heaven? Anybody like, I would love to see what that looks like, like walls parted up and whales swimming through. Like, what? how did that all go down? He saw the Red Sea open. He ate the manna with his very own tonsils, mouth. Digestive system, I don't know. Y'all, that's not my area of expertise, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. He would have experienced it for himself, this bread that God provided from heaven, the quail from up above. Like he would have had all of these real life experiences. For Joshua, it was not just history. He lived it. He lived it. He was with Moses in the tent of meeting where God's presence came down and met with them in Exodus 33. Because he saw the Red Sea, we find later in the Exodus story, because Joshua witnessed the Red Sea parting, he went ahead, and when they came to another body of water that seemed impassable, but they needed to go forward because God said so. If you remember the story, Joshua goes ahead, and he prays, and God parts the Jordan River. By the way, this, is, this one's for free here, but what God has done is supposed to give us prophetic faith for what he can and will do in the future. That'll preach. He's like, oh, Red Sea? Psh, no problem. Jordan River? I've seen this one before. When you experience something firsthand, it does something for your faith where it's no longer just theory because who God is is who he will be. Because Joshua's relationship with God was so alive, so real, so vibrant, he actually uses his life and leadership to call others to the same first chair experience with God. In the famous passage, maybe you recognize it, but you didn't know where it came from. Joshua is standing with the people of God. Many of them have come from different backgrounds and traditions. And he says this famous phrase in Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day 
who you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living in, this is where he drops the mic. But as for me and my household, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. Bumper sticker. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. When the people of God were living in this first chair experience, relational dynamic with God, you notice I got a little stool here. There's no back to it. It is largely uncomfortable because the first chair is not meant to sit down and chill. The first chair is dynamic. It's active. You're taking a a break for a second, and then you're going out, and you're following, and you're pursuing, and you're walking with God. You're on the journey. When people of God were living the firsthand personal relationship with God, they thrived. Now, don't get me wrong. Life was not perfect and life was not easy. They're they're in the wilderness. They're freeing slavery, but they have God's presence with them. And in the midst of even the most difficult seasons, if God's presence is with you, you can make it through anything. Can I get an amen? Makes all the difference in the world. Some of the, the easily the most terrifying, horrible, heartbreaking season of my life was during the pandemic, lost my dad in the same time frame. It was not something I would wish on anybody, and yet God was so near and present, I don't know if I would change it for the world. Because God was there. His presence carries us through. I had an opportunity to watch a first chair follower of Jesus this week. I, I got invited somehow to... I'm going to sit on it because why not? I don't get to do this often. I got invited to a John Maxwell event this week. How many of you know who John Maxwell is? Anybody? Okay. So this was John Maxwell is probably one of the most preeminent leadership guys of our modern day. I think of the five most popular leadership books, he has written four of them. So it just gives you sense. Kind of a big deal. John Maxwell used to be a pastor, and so I knew there was some faith background in there, and there was some God stuff that he had, and so I get invited to this thing by a mutual friend, and so anyways, I show up, it's in Palm Beach this week, and it's, it's a bunch of legacy donors, which means they have given $100,000 or more towards the ministry of John Maxwell, which I have definitely not. I have not given a single dollar towards that. So I'm sitting there, there's all these like bigwig pastors, business leaders, and John. You ever been in a room and you're like, I do not belong here. Like total fly in a wall, like, oh man. But it was, so it was like four or five hours with John Maxwell, just dropping leadership gold. I mean, just incredible. He's been doing uh, leadership and, and life and ministry for 50 plus years. And so he's just sharing his heart and it's amazing. I've got pages and pages and pages of notes and it was so great. And we get to the end of our time together and he goes into a time of Q and A and he's answered. Everyone's asking him leadership questions. A bunch of the business guys are peppering him with leadership questions and some of the pastors, leadership, leadership. And finally someone lobs him a softball question. Like, hey, if you just wanted to say one thing thing to us like what would it be and he lights up he's like oh I'm so glad you asked and he starts going in and he starts talking about people's souls and he says you know at this point I I get to travel all over the world I'm talking to presidents I'm talking to members of parliament I'm talking to senators I'm talking all these I'm talking to all these things he said but at the end of the day I need to let you know and and this was sort of a more raw he's with pastors and leaders these are big donors to his ministry and so he's a little bit more raw than he might be at a large public venue he said listen I I need you to know all the leadership stuff it's great I love it it's important he said it's all a front He said, as I'm 75 years old and I know I'm gonna be with Jesus soon, the only thing I wanna do is see people come to know him. And he starts weeping. He said, I've sold all these books. We've done all this stuff. We've done all this leadership stuff. He said, "But but this year we're about to celebrate one million people coming to know Jesus. And he just starts sobbing. 
He says, and this is why I do it. I do it for this. I don't, I, the only metrics I'm tracking at this point is whether God can use me to help people experience his grace and the gospel and come to know him. That's why I'm in it. And I'm sitting there. I mean, this guy is on fire. Someone else tried to ask a leadership question. He basically ignored the next question. It's like, let me just talk to you a little bit more about souls. Like, I mean, John Maxwell was just on fire. He's like, you know what? I've, I've set a goal for myself. Every year, I w- I'm praying that God would help me lead 200 people to the Lord. He said, I'm not talking about from the mic, from the stage, uh, through the ministry. I'm talking about me, John, personally, through interacting 200 people. He's like, I haven't hit it yet. And everyone laughed. He's like, but I'm averaging about 155 right now. He said, and I told the Lord, I don't need to write a single book more. I don't need need to do a single more accolade, but Lord, do not let me die until I hit that number. That's all I care about. That's first chair. I, I walked away for that. I called Nancy. She's like, how, how was the meeting? I was like, I don't even know how to process this, Nancy. Like, the last thing I was expecting to walk out of a John Maxwell event, I was expecting awesome leadership tools. And there was great stuff. I walked away from there like, Jesus, use my life and pour me out so people can come to know you before I'm gone. What is that? What I witnessed from John Maxwell, man, my estimation of him went through the roof. What I witnessed in John Maxwell was a man living out of a vibrant, experiential relationship with God. He's living it. He's got God's heart. This is what we see in the generation of Joshua. They're living this reality and they're thriving as a result. As long as God, Joshua and God's people are living in the first chair, they're thriving. So what changed? You can probably guess. In the same way that Moses had, had died and passed on the baton to Joshua, Joshua dies and passes on the baton to the elders. This leads us into the next chair. If you're taking notes, this is the second chair. This is the second chair. The second chair is the chair of what are called in the scripture here, the elders. This is the second-hand experience with God. This second chair represents the second-hand experience with God. Let's look into the scriptures. Can you toss that next verse to me? It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. Pay attention here. What does it say these elders had known? They had known all the, they knew the work of the Lord. They did not know the Lord. It's a fundamental difference. Said all of this time, Joshua's leading, things are amazing. He's leading out of this firsthand experience with God, in God's presence, with God's heart. It's amazing. He passes, and the elders, they would have been, by the way, most likely born in the wilderness. These would have been wilderness babies. They would have heard the stories from the first chair, firsthand people, but they would not have experienced the stories for themselves. Joshua's gone, it's still hanging on, but things are not the same. See, Joshua lived the stories, the elders continued telling the stories, and there is a difference. This is the danger of the secondhand experience with God. This is the danger of the second chair. If you wanna go back to my story, this is the danger of what I experienced in my life. I saw it in my parents. I knew it was real, I knew it was legitimate. I even remember saying things to my friends, like, man, at some point, I know the Jesus thing. It's not Muhammad, it's not Muhammad, it's not Buddha, it's not anything. I know it's Jesus, I've seen it. And when I'm older, I'm gonna do it. But right now, I'm just, I'm living my life. I'm doing my thing. I could tell the stories 
I had watched testimonies. I had watched God move in our family in supernatural ways. I could probably tell the stories as good as anybody else. I could tell the stories and get goosebumps about the stories, but they were not my stories. This is the, the second chair reality is when you get kids that go off to college and leave their faith, it's because they were living out of the second chair. When you get TikTok influencers viral that convince somebody away from their faith, it's because they were living out of the second chair. You can, you can talk intellectual to me at this point all you want about, well, John, do you know that the discrepancies between the different languages and the old and new, and you, can, you can do that as much as you could tell me, hey, John, you know, I actually looked it up and Zach Colley is not a real person. It, it doesn't hold water because at the end of the day, I know him. I have real relationship. You could give me whatever stats you want. I, I know him. This is the danger of the second chair. If all you know are stories, what we end up producing out of the second chair are storytellers and spiritual historians. They can chronicle the tales of old, but they don't have any tales themselves. And this second chair always breaks down. This check, second chair experience, it always falls apart. It always denigrates. It always dissolves. I was living out of the second chair, but it was not alive in my heart. And so as a result, I had to hit rock bottom personally before I let him in. This is the danger of your parents' faith. This is the danger of, uh, of when we simply lean on and glean off the coattails of somebody else's faith. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray, our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Notice nowhere did Jesus say, here's how you pray. Our grandfather who art in heaven, right? Because God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids. It's a personal, firsthand relationship with God or you're just a historian telling the stories. This is the danger of the second chair. The elders, it said they knew the works of God, but they did not know God. I don't know about you, I don't just want to preach the Bible. I want to live it. I've told our staff a bunch, I tell Nancy all the time, I'm like, listen, babe, my background is in education. I've got my master's in education. I've done business and social enterprise stuff. I'm not doing this because this is my career ambition. I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I want to be obedient. I said, Nancy, I told the team, if I ever become a professional Christian who's, just, who's a professional storyteller but not living the story, I will fire myself. Dead serious. I'm in this because I want, I want to live this. I love Jesus. I'm on the same journey as the rest of all of us. This week, I had a really cool experience. Malik and I were grabbing lunch, and, and we were catching up a little bit on Easter and follow-up and different things that we've got going on, some of the different events that I hope you come and join us for. They're all here on your bulletin, ways that you can plug in. We are talking about all of this, and um, I've told you guys before, my dad set a great legacy for me in just offering to pray for servers anytime we're at restaurants. I've told you guys before, I like to try to be a regular at places so I can just build relationship and build bonds of trust so I can care for people in more deep and significant ways than, than surface level. And if God opens up a door, there's some relationship to walk through. And so we were at a spot that we go to a lot, and right at the very end of our time together, we're wrapping up lunch. Uh, one of the guys that works at this restaurant that I hadn't seen in a while walks up, and I'm like, oh, man, how are you? you doing? It's great to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. He's like, well, I've been training at another store. He said, I actually just became the manager. It's a benefit of no. I was like, dude, that's awesome. I knew it was something he was wanting. And I, he said, they just put my name on the door. I'm like, that's amazing, man. Come on. So we celebrated with him and, and just sort of off the cuff, I was like, hey, man, we're getting ready to wrap up our time together. If there's one prayer we could pray for you in your new leadership role, what would it be? 
And I don't exactly know how that's gonna go, right? But I've told you people have been way more open in this season than any other. So he stops and he's like, hmm, that's a great question. Oh, wow. You never know if God's doing something until you give him a shot, right? He says, that's a great question. And he launches into his whole story of faith and religion. He's like, you know, I grew up in church and this happened and, and then we went to this church and man, they did this and they treated my mom like this and man, it po- and now, and he's just going through and he's like, I don't go anywhere now, but I still have like a, a desire for God. I mean, he's just like unveiling his soul as I'm like sitting there with Malik, just about, I'm like, whoa, this was unexpected. And then he ends, he's like, yeah, I'm doing this. And I don't know, maybe at some point I'll go back to church. I don't really know. He said, but you know what, man, ah, just you asking makes me think I need to get a Bible still. This is where it got crazy. So I'm at the John Maxwell event. We're wrapping up the entire event, and John Maxwell is like, and it was a smaller group that was there. He said, hey, by the way, I had a bunch of extra leadership Bibles. These are like really nice leather, like, you know, big Bibles, expensive Bibles. I, was, I took one because he's like, they're for anybody who wants them. I'm like, thank you very much, you know? Like, you, you tell a Jewish guy like myself, you have nice fancy stuff for free. I'm like, yes, always yes. I don't really need it, but I mean, yes, why not? Thank you, John Maxwell. So I'm like, I grab this, and... And so I'm leaving, and, and, the, and the next morning, I had it in my car, and I'm like, I don't really, what am I gonna do with this Bible? Why did I take this Bible? You know, it's nice. Like, but I'm like, and I just had this sense, I'm like, man, I think I'm gonna give this to somebody. And I, that morning, that morning, I, was, I took it out of my car, because I'm like, man, I need to go put this somewhere, and you know, it's just in my car, it's gonna be hot, the pages might you know, melt or whatever in South Florida, it's so hot. And I'm taking it out of my car, and I just felt like, no, nah, I need to leave it in my car. It did not feel super spiritual. It wasn't like a word from the Lord. I didn't levitate. Like, I actually didn't even realize it was God until everything went down. But I was like, no, I need to leave this in my car. So he says, back to the story, back to the story. So he says, yeah, man, I need to get a Bible. And I get goosebumps. And I said, bro, I have your Bible. He looks at me weird. Like, what what kind of person carries it? And I was like, I was, and I told him the story. I was at this event, this guy, John Maxwell, it's a leadership Bible. Remember this guy just got his name on the door, fresh in his leadership role. I said, it's a leadership Bible by the most prolific leader that exists in our modern day. Remember four out of five of the leadership books are by this guy. And he's a person of faith. I said, I have your Bible. He said, really? I said, really? Give me a second. Went to the car, wrote his name in it. Congratulations on your first leadership role. God has a plan for you. I pray you find life in the words of this book. And I brought it back to him. He's like, oh, wow. I said, hey, man, God has this just for you. Start reading it. How many think he's going to read that now? Yeah. I'm walking away with Malik. I'm like, bro, how crazy was that? And we're just sitting there going back and forth. And I'm like, that was like, it was a perfect moment to realize we are so small and God is so big. And he is so actively, but you better believe I'm sitting there. I'm living this first chair experience. I'm like, man, God is real and he cares for people and he's alive. And there's nothing like walking in his plan for your life. Nothing compares. But if we're not actively living here, we by default drift into here. You said, John, how do I know? Here's a great diagnostic question. Do you have a story like that? Where you know, like, man, that wasn't just me. That wasn't me being a good person. That wasn't me being so. That that was God intervening in my real life. Do you have a story like that? 
And if so, when's the most recent one? No guilt, shame, condemnation, but it is helpfully diagnostic. If the answer is no, you're probably living in the second chair. If the answer is I do have a story, but it was months, years, or decades ago, you've probably slipped into the second chair. Now, the great news is you can get right back. The great news is all you have to do is decide, I don't want to be in the second chair. I want to be in the first chair. I want to have real, dynamic, life-giving relationship with God. That's all you have to decide. God is ready and willing. It says he, the Lord searches to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those through whom he can show himself strong. All he needs is people who are willing. You don't have to have much in your spiritual resume. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all the, all you have to do is say, God, I'm here. He's like, great, I can work with that. That's how good he is. He's amazing. So humble. He's like, I'll take anybody on the team that wants to be on the team. But listen to me. Here's the danger of the second chair. If you live in the second chair, I know our vision is we want to help ordinary people produce, become passionate followers of Jesus. We want to be disciples, real, active, dynamic, first chair people. Don't even have a back to the chair because we're up and moving and we're following him on the adventure. But if you live in the second chair, you will never produce first chair disciples. Second chair historians never produce first chair disciples. They only produce third chair. They only produce the third chair. Let's move to the third chair. The third chair is this new generation. They're living off a third-hand experience. The first chair, Joshua, he lived it. The second chair, the elders, they grew up in it. They heard the stories. The third chair, well, the third chair ends up forgetting altogether. Look at this in Judges 2. It's tragic. It says, a people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. How many of you are like, I name it and claim, I'll receive that one. 110 years old, that sounds good to me. Some of you are like, no, take me sooner, Jesus, please. <laughs> Amen, I get it. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish, or Gosh, or however you say that. Oh, my gosh. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up, check this, who neither knew the Lord or what he had done for Israel. You see the trajectory? First chair, know the Lord. Second chair, know God, know the things God has done, but they do not know God for themselves personally, which leads to the third chair who neither know the Lord nor the things he's done. It's the inevitable drift of the third-hand experience. So they neither knew the Lord nor the things he had done. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. These would have been idols in the ancient world. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt, and they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. This is the tragedy of the third chair. They forsook the God of their fathers. It never became personal. This is the danger of grandma's religion. If it's not personal, friends, it does not last. First generation, first chair, they're passionate. Second generation historians, they're curious. Third generation, third chair, they're apathetic. And ultimately, this is a little folding chair here. You can just pack it up and put it away because they leave altogether. This is what we see in the nation of Israel, and I would argue this is what we see in the moment that we live in right now. I would argue that at this very moment, we are a world of third chair experiencers in culture and second chair people in the church, by and large. 
which means our inevitable trajectory if things do not change dramatically is we are going to see a third chair United States of America. But we don't have to. Which is my, my prayer for us is that we would get back to the first chair. My, my prayer, my longing, we're in this Who We Are series. I'm like, church, this is who we are. This is who we long to be. We want to be first chair disciples where we don't just know the stories, but we know the Lord. We don't just know the works. We know the one who the works are all about. We don't just know the verses. We know the, we know the one who the verses have foretold where we are actively living a real dynamic relationship and experience with God. This is the trajectory of the chairs. It's living, it's telling, and by the time you get to the third chair, it's forgetting altogether. Here's, here's the application point, what I want us thinking about this morning, this week. Which chair are you sitting in? Which chair are you sitting in? Take a moment for, for true diagnostic self-reflection. Lord, by your spirit, would you make it clear? Which chair are you living in? Are you living out of first chair, first hand experiences with God? Do you have first hand experiences with the truths of God? Where they're not just theory that you have in your mind, but they are lived realities in your real life. His grace, his provision, his goodness, his power, his mercy, his love. You're not just saying, well, yeah, yeah, I believe it because the Bible tells me so, although that's important. But you're like, I've read it in the Bible and John, I've experienced it in my real life. I know it's true. It's not just what he did, it's what he does. It's not just who he was, it's who he is. I know it's true. Do you really know him? Experientially, relationally? Or are you living off the fumes of someone else's relationship with God? you can answer the question now, you can save yourself a bunch of pain and heartache. I know the book of Judges reality sounds great in our modern context. Everyone did what was good, what was right in their own eyes. I know that sounds really good. It ends horrible for the people of God and Judges. We are so in danger of chronological snobbery where we assume something for us as modern people is going to go so much better than it went for those ancient people. It's going to end up just the same. And we see that in the demographic statistics coming out right now. Anxiety skyrocketing. Depression skyrocketing senses of alienation skyrocketing mental health crises all over the world is it possible that god tells the truth and we are living the book of judges right now you tell me maybe if you're courageous enough to be honest you're realizing that you're living at this point in the second chair you you know the stories you believe the stories. You tell the stories. You, you even sit here in this chair, like I mentioned. You can tell the stories and get goosebumps. They're so real in theory to you, but you've never lived them for yourself. You can't. In fact, you must. I know we've got parents here. A lot of times I hear parents, they're like, you know, I, I grew up with some sort of faith and then I kind of drifted, but now I have kids. And I mean, I want my kids to be raised with that good moral compass. I, I love the thought and I love that, that you're here. Maybe you're checking things out. That's amazing. You got to go a little bit deeper than that though. Why? Because you will teach what you know, but you'll reproduce who you are. Second chair does not reproduce first chair. Second chair only reproduces third chair. We've got to get back to the first chair. 
This is the danger of religion. You can preach great theoretical sermons in the second chair. You can lead great theoretical microchurch discussions in the second chair. You can have awesome core thoughts and theology of God in the second chair. But if it is not your lived experience, it will inevitably break down. This is where Peter, he gets to that point of saying, Lord, where else am I going to go? Jesus makes these crazy statements as Jesus tends to make. Everyone starts trickling off. Peter's like, Lord, where else am I going to go? You've got the words of life. Translation, I've tasted and seen. I know you're the real deal. I can't go anywhere else. You said, John, how would I know if I'm in the second chair? Pay attention to the type of questions you find yourself asking. This has been so helpful for me because the amount of times I sit down with people and they're asking questions like, okay, but do I have to be baptized? It's a second chair question. If Jesus has exploded in your life and heart, you're like, what, what must I do? Jesus, what do you want from me? Well, Pastor John, I mean, but, but, but technically, according to the ancient language, when it comes to the sexual ethics of the Bible, how far is actually too far? Second chair question. I've spent so much of my time, so much of my life trying to convince people intellectually about questions that have to do with the heart. If you're living out of the first chair, when you're living out of the first chair, you're like, Jesus, you got my whole life. Whatever you want, it's yours. You want me to get baptized? Amazing. You want me to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend that I'm not married to? Amazing. You want me to give money? Amazing. You want me to be generous? Amazing. You've got everything. You saved my life, of course. When you move here, it gets more theoretical. Well, pastor, talk to me about the etymology of the word generosity in accordance with the scriptures. What exactly are we? It's a second chair question. I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm saying your love has begun to drift. And if you do not get back to the first chair, you are in danger of not your genuine desire which is to pass that love for God on to the next generations. If you stay in this chair, it will not happen. It, it cannot happen. We've got to get back to the first chair. We've got to get back to this place where we say, Jesus, I love you. Not my parents love you. Not my grandparents love you. Not my spouse love you. I love you because I've experienced you in my life. And by the way, if you have not, that's fine. Ask him. He's fine with that. He's really okay with it. I, I asked him. He's good with it. Ask him, say, God, I, I think I am living. I believe this stuff, but I've never experienced this stuff. Ask him and get ready because <laughs> he loves to show up because he loves you. He loves you so much. The need of the chair, need of the day, it's first chair disciples. It's who we are. Maybe you're in the third chair, by the way. I'm not flip this up. I'll flip it back down. Maybe you're in the third chair and you're like, John, John this is all, like I came Last week on Easter, I came a few weeks ago, like, this is all totally brand new to me. Like, I'm very intrigued, but I'm like, I don't even know what to think. Totally get it. Thrilled that you're here. This is a safe space for you to explore God, faith, and spirituality. I'd love to grab coffee with you. We could talk about questions you have about God and faith. If you're here, you're here, right? You're like, I, I, maybe, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to learn more. Love that. Here, here would be my encouragement if you find yourself in the third chair and you're like, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Like, I have a friend and somebody else seems excited. I don't even know if this is real. Here's my encouragement to you. Lean in with intentionality and purpose. Like there is nothing casual about a man who claimed to be God and who said he rose from the dead and he's the only way to get to God. It's not a casual claim. It, it warrants, it necessitates intentional active discovery. Does that make sense? 
If there's anything worth putting your time into, it's figuring out the health of your soul. Give it focused time and attention. The need of the day is first chair disciples. We must have firsthand experiences with God to lead other people into having firsthand experiences with God. It's the only way it happens. As long as Joshua is around, the people are strong. Joshua experienced God for himself. He saw the Red Sea part for himself. He ate the manna for himself. He was in God's presence for himself. He parted the Jordan with God himself. Then after the elders came, they're historians. They heard the stories. They told the stories. They get goosebumps from the stories, but they did not experience the stories for themselves. And second chair historians do not produce first chair disciples. They only produce third chair forgetters. Here's my prayer. Here's my plea. Greenhouse, hear my heart. Get back to the first chair. Get back to the first chair. In a, in a major way on my heart this week in particular in prayer and preparation where those of us who maybe at one point were living out of this second chair, we have these experiences. We're like, man, I remember when God and he came through and at some point you realize you've drifted into that second chair and you're like, man, I, it is much more theory. My, I don't really have stories. I used to have stories. I don't have stories anymore. I can't tell you the last time if you're in that spot the Bible is actually clear with what you're like, what do I do? Here's what you do. In Revelation, it says, go back and do the things you used to do at first. Very simple. Like, do you remember a time where you're like, oh my God, when I first met Jesus, man, try to stop me from praying. Forget like, pastor, how long do you actually have to pray to be spiritually right with God? Like, forget that question. That's a second chair question. I was like, man, how long can I carve out time to pray? Like, how long, like, how long can I pray before I get fired? Like, those are your questions. You're like, man, how, you were like, I read the Bible every single day. Try and stop me. I shared my faith with people. I didn't even know what my faith was, but I was sharing it. Oh, you better believe it. It was so a lot. Scripture says, if you find yourself in the second chair, just go back and do the things you used to do at first. Sometimes we feel like we've matured beyond those things and what we have done is not mature, we've drifted. Just come back. Just come back to the first chair, eternal life, that you may know God and his son Jesus whom he sent. Which chair are you sitting in? If you've never experienced the first chair, maybe you've heard the stories, maybe you've heard from a friend of a friend about the stories. If you've never experienced the first chair, today is the day. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We invite some of our Guyana crew. They come down for breakthrough in different things. We've tried to tell them about Chick-fil-A. You can't tell somebody about Chick-fil-A, God's chicken. They just gotta taste and see that God's chicken is good, right? There are some things that you cannot get from theory. You can only get from experience. That feels appropriate to use a Chick-fil-A analogy for the gospel, amen. If you have lived in the first chair, I don't even know where my notes I'm at to at this point, so I'm just gonna go with it, but I'll be done at some point. If you have lived in the first chair before and you realize that you have drifted, and by the way, this happens most of the time without even realizing it, you have drifted to the second chair storyteller. You are a historian for the kingdom, but you are no longer living it. I wanna invite you back to the first chair. The call for all of us is to reproduce first chair. Any of us parents in the room, we're not bringing our kids because we hope they become really great Pharisees who can tell all the stories and live none of them, right? We want disciples. You're only going to produce disciples if you, if you are a disciple. Get back. Mo, by the way, you know how Joshua ends up having these firsthand experiences with God? Moses invites him. 
He probably saw this young kid, bushy tail, wide-eyed, like, and Moses watches everybody. It says all the rest of the Israelites, when Moses went into the tent of meeting with God's presence, they're like freaking out if, and they run away. Joshua was probably like waiting for an invitation. That's my guess. He ends up sitting with Moses in the tent because Moses invites him in. Next week, we're talking on discipleship. If right now you're like, man, I, I, I'm getting back to this chair and I am John Maxwell giving the rest of my life to say, Lord, I want, all I wanna do with my life is help people come to know you and experience you and grow in you. You make that decision now. Next week, we're gonna talk about what that actually looks like and how to make that very practical in your real life. At the end of the day, there's only one way we stay in the first chair and it's knowing God. It's eternal life, it's knowing him. It's all about knowing, loving, experiencing Jesus. I really love what I get to do. You guys are a joy to, to lead and, and serve and be with. Like, I, I mean it from the depth of my soul. I, I love you guys. And for the first five years of, of pastoral ministry, I, it, it was almost awkward. I would get around with other pastors and church planters and they would be sharing like their battle wounds and stories of that, all this stuff, like really heartbreaking church hurt. Like, you know, by the way, Christians are not the only ones with church hurt. Um, and so all these pastors would be sharing all these stories and, and, and it was heartbreaking. And I would just kind of be sitting there theoretically like, oh man, that stinks. But I'm like, I, our church is kind of awesome. <laughs> People are great. They're not perfect, but they're like great. And then the pandemic hit. And, and I, had ne I haven't shared this story before and, and I don't share this story for you to feel bad for me because I love, love, love what I'm doing. But I'm a human and, and I lost my dad and he was my greatest sort of hero and champion. And I got really discouraged. And, and I was sitting in our office space at the hub one day and you know, life was tough and leadership was challenging and I didn't have my dad to lean on like I'd always had. And, and it felt a little bit, if you were any sort of leader, business leader, you could probably relate, pastoral leader. It felt like someone handed you a canoe paddle and a canoe and they're like, all right, now get over that mountain. And you're like, how do I do this? Like it was, it was perplexing, it was difficult. And people were uncharacteristically harsh in the midst of all of that as well. And, um, and, and I was not exempt from that. People said mean things, and, and I get it. Everyone was in a tough spot. They were doing the best that they could, but, but I sort of hit a moment, and I was in the hub, and there was no one there, and I was just, I was literally crying out to God, and, and I was just, if you remember the story of Elijah, he kind of gets in his feelings. He's like, Lord, there's no one else here. What are we doing? And God's like, chill out. So I had my Elijah moment there, and, and I was just, I was literally crying out to God, and I was like, Lord, Everyone wants to be so frustrated. Everyone wants to be so mad. Everyone just wants to peace out and be like, man, I'm done. And we've got all this time, all this energy, all this relationship build up. Everyone just wants to leave. That's fine. God, I can leave too. I can just up and leave too. Like, I'm just gonna be out here. Everybody else wants to just be out of here. Like, I can, I can just be out of here too. So frustrated, heartbroken. And I mean, as clear as day, I hear a voice. It was not audible, but it was clear as day in my head, in my heart. What, what am I doing here? Why am I even here? I can go. And I just heard Jesus say, because I've called you to it. And it was probably the shortest moment of considering quitting in the history of the United States. Solid 10 seconds. He sounds like, Jesus, I'll give you anything. I'll do anything for you. 
you got my life, you've got my time, you've got my energies, you've got my love, like anything you want me to do, I'm not doing this because it's my professional occupational ambition. I'm doing this because I love you. And if you want me doing it, game over, settled, great. I'll die for you, I could do this for you. Much easier actually. And at the end of the day, friends, the only way that we're gonna make it in life, the only way we're gonna make it in our leadership, the only way we're gonna make it in our parenting, the only way we're gonna make it in our relationship, the only way we're gonna make it as followers of Jesus is because we know him. That's the only way. It's his words. It's his love, it's his encouragement, it's his strength, it's his call, it's his grace, it's his life. This is eternal life. You wanna experience eternal life? It doesn't just happen when you die, it's supposed to happen right now. It's knowing Jesus and saying, Lord, whatever you want for me, I'm in, I'm game. You just give me the word, because I love you. And if that is not your experience, or maybe it was at some point, but it is not now, can I invite you back? to the Father's house, to the first chair. Join me as we pray. Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. I love you so much. I love this church family so much. It is a joy to serve you, but Lord, I do not want to become a spiritual theoretician. I do not want to become a lecturer in a classroom talking about theory. Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. To use the words of Leonard Ravenhill, I don't want to just read about church history. I want to be a part of it. And Lord, I know in this room, online, in Guyana, there are many of us that share that same ambition. Lord, we want to know you, God. Would you help us to be first chair people, living out of firsthand experiences with you, having testimonies afresh to share as an encouragement to others and an encouragement to our soul in the moments of challenge and difficulty. I want to give you a moment just for a second as we pause in this space to respond. There's so few opportunities for genuine reflection. Here's one. Maybe you're here this morning watching online and you wanna enter into first chair, real relationship with God. Maybe it's for the first time you've been investigating God, faith and spirituality and something in you says, okay, now's the time. I know this is real. Or maybe you've drifted to the second chair and it's time for you to come back. Right now you can decide. Say, Lord, that's me. God, help me. Jesus, I hear you speaking in my heart. I, I wanna know you. Not just your stories, you. I wanna know you. This is eternal life, to know you, the one true God and Jesus, your son, whom you sent. I wanna know you. Maybe you're living in that first chair. You are living out of an active dynamic. Not perfect, obviously. You remember last week, it's all his grace. He's a hero of our story, but, but it's genuine. It's real. And you want to commit to helping to reproduce that first chair experience in others. Helping others enter into that first chair, real dynamic lived experience. You want to be a Moses to a Joshua. If you're in that boat, we'll talk about it more next week and 
By the way, I would love, do not miss next week. If that is you, you are gonna wanna be here next week. But if you're in that spot, it begins with a decision. Right now you can say, God, that's me, help me. For any parents in the room, this is a great moment to say, God, that is me, help me. Teach me. Take me back to that first chair.